A New Hope was an opening of all movies that dealt with aliens and space and science fiction because I hadn't liked anything before. But that's the movie that made me like all of it. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we like to democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike to talk about movies that either they grew up with or that connect with them emotionally in some way that they have some kind of personal connection to. However, this series we have going on, every month we talk about an episode in the Star Wars saga. And this episode, we'd be talking about Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. And I'm honored to be joined by Kim Stock Foster. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So uh, tell listeners a little bit about who you are and and I guess how we know each other and that kind of thing. Well, um, I am the aunt of your lovely wife, Kai. And so that's how we met was when you started dating Kai and then got married. That's true. That's so. Yeah, it's uh, 2011, I guess, is when Kai and I got together. So I probably met you sometime that year. I don't remember exactly a few months in or something. It might have actually been in 2011 because I believe we had a family reunion down in Florida because I just came across a picture of that. And that was when Grant was a junior in high school. And so that was before he went off to the Marines. And I'm like, okay, so that's when we went down. It's so long ago now. Yes. See how time flies? I told you not to blink. It just goes (laughs) by really fast. Yeah, so we met through Kai, who listeners know she's been on the show many, many times. And I put out the call for on Facebook for Star Wars people. And you were like, hey, you want to talk to someone who actually saw the original Star Wars in theaters? <laughs> and I was like, yes, because most of the people on this show are no, we're not around very much or at all no. at that point. So it's nice to get a different take on it, especially a, a movie that's was such a this remains such a cultural milestone. Oh, absolutely. Normally for this series, before we actually talk about the uh, the particular movie, I kind of get into, well, what's your, what's your relationship to the franchise, that kind of thing, when you start getting into Star Wars. But that this is kind of this is the original Star Wars media in any form, obviously. So, of course, this episode, we're going to be talking about Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. So let's listen to a little bit of the trailer right now. Luke Skywalker was just a farm boy. Until he received a mysterious message from a princess. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. She's beautiful. Star Wars, starring Mark Hamill. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. Aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? Harrison Ford. Boring conversation anyway. I think we took a wrong turn. Carrie Fisher. Alec Guinness. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. 20th Century Fox presents the most extraordinary motion picture of all time, Star Wars. Here's where the fun begins. No legendary adventure of the past could be as exciting as this romance of the future. Here they come. May the Force be with you in Star Wars. We'll start before we delve into more of the review part of the movie. What is your 
your you know relationship to Star Wars when this movie came out to the franchise in general, and is it is it something that you've revisited a lot over the years, or only when someone asks you to talk about it on a podcast? Okay, no. So the movie came out in May of 1977, and I was a junior in high school, and I did not go see it right away. I mean, this is when movies stayed out in theaters for over a year. I my brother was alive then and he's six years older than me. And he was like, You gotta go see this movie. You gotta go see this movie. And I totally rejected it. I was like, oh my God, it's a science fiction, which some people might not call mm-hmm. Star Wars science fiction. It's but you know, science fiction-y fantasy fun adventure. Right. I flatly refused to see it. I'm like, I'm not a geek, I'm not a nerd. You know, I'm cool, which I probably was not. And so a year goes by. I graduate from high school and he's still begging me to go see this movie. And he's seen it like 20 times. And I said, fine, I'll go see the movie if it shuts you up. And I made him pay for the movie. He had to buy me popcorn. He had to get me a drink. This is what he did to get me to see the movie. I know, it was serious. And the moment the movie started, you know, it's loud and the words start on the screen and I was immediately hooked. I'm like, oh my God, why did it take me a year to go see this? And of course my brother is like, oh God, I can't stand you. You know, he was like (laughs) laughing because I was hooked immediately into the movie. And then of course you have Mark Hamill. He comes onto the screen and I'm like, Oh, he's so cute. And he's staring off into the double moons. And I'm like, I'm in love. I'm just in love. This this guy is just such a hunk. And then Han Solo, you know, Harrison Ford comes on, comes on the screen and I'm like, Mark Hamill who? Harrison <laughs> Ford, man, and, and Han Solo and his, you know, attitude just that did me in, you know, those two were just so cool. And then to have a strong female character in this movie, you know, I'll bite. She has, you know, cinnamon buns on her ears, but it was that hooked me, you know, and it was, I consider that to be the first movie that was somewhat science fiction took place in space that I liked. So that's, I mean, that's what a new hope is to me. I think it's a, that's a good point, though, for a couple of reasons. One, I think I, I feel like it definitely kind of legitimized sci-fi in a way, because before that there was, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey. But for the most part, it was like the creature features or like the like really cheesy. Uh, Barbarella. Yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. The 50, yeah, the 50s and 60s sci-fi, which wasn't wasn't quite on the same accessibility level of, uh, as, as far as uh, age groups and interest levels and things like that. And also the fact that this is really, I mean, I agree with, with you that, that what you mentioned, that it is kind of a blending of sci-fi and fantasy. The way I see it is it's a fantasy movie that, that uses sci-fi elements. So there's robots and there's space and there's you know, spaceships and all that, but it's, it's creating a, a new world. It's like a whole world we've never met before, a galaxy and, and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, different it's like basically middle earth or narnia or hogwarts hogwarts is actually more recent reality than this this is the whole a long time ago in a galaxy far far away is like once upon a time it has a fairy tale element to it too those words just they grabbed me i'm like wow 
I loved this, you know. First of all, it's a movie that's making me read at the beginning of the movie, and I yeah. thought that was kind of cool. But it was also, you know, the sound. Uh, I don't think it was the THX yet, but they still had – it was a different sound for it. Right. And we hadn't really had movies that had a lot of special effects. Now, I said that I might be jumping ahead, but we, we my husband and I watched the movie just two days ago, and there were a couple of special effect things. I put little bunny ears around those that made us laugh. Mm-hmm. Because the newer Star Wars movies, their special effects are just amazing. And so this one isn't to that level. But for 1977, when I saw it, 1978, the special effects were, wow, we got lightsabers and storm blasters and, I mean, stormtrooper blasters and, you know, lights and sounds that we hadn't seen yet, mm-hmm. or I hadn't, at least, in movie screen. And I think... I think people don't realize how much just like the experience of going to the movies has changed since this. Because this Star Wars is by and large, I think Star Wars and Jaws are historically considered the movies that like created the summer blockbuster, like that movie where you're mm-hmm. like, where as you said, your brother was like, you have to go see this, dragging people to the theater. And of course, now things aren't out a year; they're like a few weeks, and then that's about it. And you know, unless you right. unless you come across like Avengers Endgame or Titanic or Avatar, where it's out for like four months, and then that's considered a rarity um but yeah this was this was such a a huge deal that it sucked in everybody uh where it's one of those one of those movies that people would have lines across the block to go see that kind of thing um right and i think a big part of that is that the way the way it starts just with the logo and the music john williams music yeah it's just the wording and of course now kelly didn't even see it when it came out so and he said that he's the first time he saw it was like five years later with me because it was the year that Return of the Jedi was going to be released. Mm-hmm. And so a local mm-hmm. movie theater was doing a double feature of the first two movies and he hadn't seen them. So we went and what he said, and it's true, what pulled him in was, you know, you start off with you know, a little spaceship being chased. And then the next thing you know, in a big theater, you have, you know, the Empire's big, big ship comes through the screen and it's gigantic. And it was just so, I might not have the term as to what that ship was called. Star Destroyer. Thank you, the Star Destroyer. It was so big on a theater screen and I had never seen anything like that. Mm -hmm. And that's what Mm -hmm. Kelly said pulled him in was just and you can hear the sound of it coming it's like we were vibrating and it was just so new for us you know the special effects that's that had such an impact on us um and i had grown up with a brother and sister who liked star trek the tv show star trek right and i thought oh my god this is so bad and it was one of those things that you know, I didn't like because it was a space thing. And I think it also competed with, um, might've been underdog, which I wanted to watch. And we only had one TV and they got to watch star Trek. So I didn't like it because of that. Um, and you can, if you don't know underdog, it was a 
cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, superhero. So um, that's one of the reasons, like, I just thought all science fiction things are just kind of cheesy. Um, but then you have A New Hope, and I think that opened up the door to, I mean, it opened up the door for the Star Trek series to yeah. become successful yeah. again. Because I think their first movie was like two years later. Um, and either 79 or 80 was when the Star Trek movie came out. Um, and I liked that then because I determined it hadn't, it wasn't as stupid as I thought it was initially. Which is funny because now everything is, is geek, geek culture is, is like ruling everything. Game of Thrones and Marvel and Star Wars mm-hmm. still. It's crazy how, how that, that perception has changed. Has that been a kind of a gradual thing or does it feel like something that's really just changed in the last decade or so? I think it was more gradual because I think Star Wars was mainstreamed. So it was okay to like that. You know, these were adventure movies that just took place in space. I think that my opinion, at least, would be it, it just made it okay to like that. You have the Star Wars and you have you know, Star Trek and you have Avatar and it, and because you had mentioned Avatar and I think that's a good example of, you know, something that's different. And, but you had E.T. and, you know, other, I'm not sure when Alien came out, but other movies that just started to make it more mainstream to just have, you know, fun with it. You don't have to take it seriously. Um, and these were good adventure movies. I wouldn't consider it to be geeky to like these movies anymore. I did 40 years ago. I don't now. You know, now maybe people who don't like them consider it to be geeky, but I don't really care. So, you know, I'm over that. Well, nowadays, every everybody is all like divided on uh, arguing online about Star Wars or Game of Thrones, which I brought, you know, obviously Mm -hmm. we're recording this the day after one of the last episodes aired. So, you know, if anything, I feel like now everybody gets sucked, either is a fan of that kind of thing Mm -hmm. or gets sucked into the next level of really breaking things down and analyzing it. For example, Kai, uh, you know, she wouldn't consider herself a geek. In fact, she think, you know, she, she likes Star Wars kind of, but she doesn't really like, admit to how invested she gets in some of these things, whether it's Star Wars or elsewhere. But then we recorded uh-huh. our Avengers Avengers Endgame episode and we, we talked about that movie for two and a half hours. And she's like crying on the podcast about how emotional she is, how much she connected she is to Captain America and his story in that movie. And I want to get into spoilers in case people haven't seen it. But um, like, you know, sometimes certain things like that, the stories are so grand in scope, you know, the classic good versus evil thing. And then you mm-hmm. throw in the elements of romance and adventure, and this one has like sci-fi and fantasy and things like that. So, it it, it makes it accessible for for everyone. There's an entry point for everybody to to latch onto. And I think right. Star Wars was a big part for that. You know, as you mentioned, you know, as a young woman seeing this and seeing Carrie Fisher, who is now obviously sadly passed away on screen as Princess Leia, what was that like for you? Well, and and it's interesting because rewatching it Friday. I looked at Kelly, and for people who might be listening and don't know, Kelly is my husband. And I said, I think she's one of the reasons I really liked it. I said, this is a woman who's mocking, you know, giving Han Solo a hard time. She's carrying a blaster. She's, 
you know, insulting, you know, oh, I recognized your stench the moment I was on the ship. So she was sarcastic. She was strong. She was determined. You know, she could be tortured and handle it. And I'm like, you know, I, I look back at the movies that were out. She's a really strong female character that I hadn't really seen in a movie. And I think, yeah, Mark Hamill's good looking and Harrison Ford was good looking. But I also think she was the pull for me because I was looking for that. Mm-hmm. I think that if we looked as, you know, a new hope stand the test of time, this is one of the things that I think does because they may feel that they had to protect her, but she's the one that shot the hole into the garbage compactor and said, get in, you know, enough of this, we got to go. And so she was, I liked her character. Yeah. And, and that's, that's something that's, that even in the original Star Wars trilogy, like Leia is such a, a beacon of, of early sci-fi heroines that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even in the original Star Wars trilogy, it's really, she kind of carries the whole torch because there was not a lot of female presence in those movies. I think now the, now the, the franchise is really starting to, to balance that out because now we have Rey at the center of it. Right. Uh, which is why I really, as a Star Wars fan and, and a father of a, of a little girl, I'm really trying to perpetuate Ray, and so you know our daughter knows all about Ray and and uh, BB-8 and things like that. But yeah, I mean, it's and it, the movie kind of lulls you in with the fact that oh, she's a princess that needs to be rescued, but does she really? <laughs> kind of not really. Just got to get her to a certain point, and then she's she's good from the rest of the way. She she might have needed a ride because she didn't have a starship, you know, handy. And they, of course, in the New Hope, um, no, it's actually Empire Strikes Back when um, Han Solo says, you know, Chewie, you got to take care of the princess. But that's just to get Chewie to be quiet. Right. So I'm jumping ahead to the next movie. Sorry. Um, But that's she she didn't really need to be. And I liked the fact that she was running around with, you know, some sort of blaster and. You know, was she was strong, and I liked that. Yeah. You know, you, you sit and think, and I'm having trouble coming up with women who were strong characters like that. Well, and also who over who who weren't overly sexualized or anything like that. And then you mentioned Alien. We got Ripley a couple of years later. She was she pushed that even further because she was the the only like the real hero in that story, rather than you know Leia being one of the the group of leads in this film. But right. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Star Wars really was the kind of the progenitor f- for that in a lot of ways. Did you keep up with the rest of the franchise after that? Like, have you seen all the films? And I have. I I was looking at the list, and I think the only movie I haven't seen is the Solo. I like the newer ones. Mm-hmm. The prequels are probably my least favorite. Overall, I I do agree with you that the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy, the current ones are definitely much stronger than than the prequels i think mm-hmm. so so as a person who was a fan of this franchise and what did you think about the way that the prequels went and the way and the way that that's kind of the story has been hashed out did the prequels affect your your um your love of this film of a new hope um i i kind i did kind of like like the storyline uh this is what made Anakin turn into, you know, Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. 
But why Anakin had to be such a whiny ass, I don't know. <laughs> it, it was, of course, then you watch A New Hope and we're like, ah, uh, like father, like son. Yes, exactly. I was going to go get this and I want to go do this, you know. So Luke is a little bit of a whiner in the first movie. I think that's just how George Lucas writes teenagers. He's just like, all teenagers are just like, I want to go to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. That's the quote, yes. Yeah. Oh, but, but, please, I'll ne-. You know, he whined. Yeah. And it was like, okay, Anakin Jr., you know, you can stop it. I think a lot of people forget that this movie was actually an Oscar player as well when it came out. Like, this won six Oscars, was nominated for right. Best Picture and Director. George Lucas was nominated for Screenplay. And if you've seen Attack of the Clones, you're like, wow, how far the mighty have fallen as far as screenwriting uh-huh. and things like that. I, I think that's, uh, I, and this was only his third film after THX 1138 and American Graffiti. So um, what did you, which version uh, did, you, did you watch to, to rewatch? Because I'm, I'm assuming either the Blu-ray or the special edition. And also, what are your thoughts about those changes? I think they did edit. I mean, what we saw was like they do include like Jabba is in it. And it makes it a little disjointed because they don't explain it. It's like they were setting it up maybe for future shows. But, you know, Han Solo talking to Jabba in A New Hope, that whole scene is a little disconnected, I think. Mm -hmm. So there are just other scenes that are just like minute here, minute there that we're like, wow, I don't remember seeing that scene and it's an extended bar scene or there's something where they're driving into Moss Eisley and they show outside scenes of other characters that are, is not in the original movie. So um, I, I don't think that the additions add much, but it's fun to see. Because of what I mean, it's fun to see Jabba in that movie because you know he's such a character in the the um, Return of the Jedi. So it adds something because you know who he is. But if you didn't know, I don't know. I think it's a little disconnected. It's also the conversation he has with Jabba is very similar to the conversation he just had with uh, Greedo. So it's just like a yes. lot of reused dialogue, and you could tell it was just. So uh, Lucas trying to put it in to, to, I guess, boost ticket sales. Because I actually, that was my whole thing with the with the original films is I saw them on VHS, the original cuts uh, from the video store down the street from my parents' house, um, like a few months before the special editions were released in early 1997. And I was aware of Star Wars. I'm sure I'd seen them here and there, but I didn't even really, it didn't really stick until until like the end of 96. So then I saw those, uh, the special editions in theater. So that's just kind of the version that I'm used to. That's why I was like, a lot of times, a lot of Star Wars fans, longtime Star Wars fans are purists and they're very like against all the special edition changes, things like that. Uh, and, and it's also, you can't find them anywhere really on, on DVD or anything. The untouched. I love to watch movies. Like if you've seen the original, and then you get that special edition to see what they added mm-hmm. or what had been edited out, I guess. I like to see those because then you can say, eh, well, now I see why they took that out. Right. And sometimes it's like, well, that's kind of fun. Why did they take that out? But um, so I don't think so. Y- you're saying you're one of the things you're used to is the special one where you actually do see Jabba in A New Hope. Yes. Yeah. And there's all those CG 
the, all those CG characters that you see, like I think as you were, you were mentioning, they walk, they they ride up in the speeder to Mos Eisley, and there's like all this yeah. other like the the tall CG characters, like with the Jawas hanging from it, and all these yeah. different yeah, all that stuff that they added right before the special edition. I guess starting to play with the CG toys in you know while he was in production on uh, the Phantom Menace or like thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So yeah, a lot of people take umbrage with all those changes, and I'm like, eh, I mean, there's some things yeah. that it's like, it's you know, it's whatever. I mean, I, I it's also you gotta you have to see how, how I mean, you know, you and I have mixed feelings at best on the prequels, but watching those movies in order, it feels really really strange for one, two, three to be so CGI heavy, and then you get to episode four, you're like, what the hell? You, you yeah, know, it's all practical effects. I think he was trying to to. I don't know, bridge that gap a little bit. I actually think the sequels trilogy has done a tremendous job of having CG and, and, you know, still puppetry and, and uh, mm-hmm. prosthetics and makeup, things like that. Like, I feel like they finally got it right. Cause the other trilogies tend to have tend to go uh, one way or another to, to extreme. Mm-hmm. I would, I would tend to agree. Let's just go into the actual movie itself and kind of run through it. Like as we go through and just talk about things. So it opens up with, as you mentioned, the big ship, uh, Leia is is putting the plans to the Death Star in R two D two, and sends the droids off. Of course, we get the big entrance from Darth Vader. What was that like seeing that in theaters on the on, uh, for the first time? Vader's entrance with the stormtroopers and all that stuff going on. It was like wow, yeah, this is a person you you don't want to mess with. I mean, it was so different from anything I had seen, and the stormtroopers um, were are notoriously bad shots. I mean, they can't shoot anything and you know, there's, and you don't even know that at that point that they're really clones. Mm -hmm. Like that, I think they were working that one out. Um, You know, so to me, they're just soldiers in white, you know, metal uniforms, but it was pretty cool. It makes an impression when he, when he, when he comes in there with the, with James Earl Jones's voice, especially and everything. Well, it was interesting. I was just reading, like, they had originally picked Orson Welles. Yeah, I don't know how that would have worked. To, and the reason George Lucas got rid of that, you know, decided not to cast him, was he wanted an unknown to be the voice of Darth Vader. And that's why he went with James Earl Jones. And I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, because James Earl Jones is the voice of Darth Vader to us. Mm-hmm. To have Orson Welles who would have been well-known, would not, it wouldn't have been the voice. You needed to have Darth Vader and that voice. And Yeah, I, I mean, and that's a role that he's still, like, he still, I think, reprises every once in a while for one of the animated series or things like that. Obviously, he did for the prequels as well in, the, in Revenge of the Sith. So, yeah, so he comes in and, you, and, and you're, you're really kind of swept into, into the, this situation where, the the empire and they talk they have the big room with all the governors and and vader's like force choking them and I feel oh like- my gosh he's like <laughs> he's just using his fingers well actually he like picks one up and that's you know he, you know crushes his throat and mm-hmm. but the 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 idea that he can use the force and just choke him with his fingers just like just pinching in the air and the guy is choking i'm like okay that's pretty darn cool yeah probably my response was like all right (laughs) i like that 
This is also probably the most menacing I think we we see Vader because other than that one minute the cameo appearance he had in Rogue One where he's really pissed trying to get the uh, the Death Star plans, but um, he, he you know because we don't really know about the, we don't we hear about the Emperor but we don't really see him yet, and the movie go does a lot of work to establish how fearsome Vader is, as you mentioned, like crushing people's throats and, and choking over, and then he kills, spoilers, I guess, for people, uh, he kills Obi-Wan Kenobi at the end, um, uh, all of uh, that. But yeah, so of course, Obi-Wan let him. Yes. You have to, yeah, that's, you know, you gotta Luke, feel the force, and you know, so that was you. Ha- you knew that at least Obi Wan went in there with the knowledge that he was going to do this, because that also would motivate Luke to become a Jedi. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like it seemed like he needed that to be part of the Force. Um. So, because I mean, that was an intentional death, right? right. So, yeah, that was the whole. You know training Luke in the ship, you know, feel, you know, the whole, and to see the laser, you know, the lightsaber being used, Mm -hmm. that was, I remember being struck about how cool that was. I hadn't seen anything like that. And I still think that that's appealing to the audience. I think sometimes some of the adventure movies are so fast and there's so much that it's almost an overwhelming amount of special effects. And so the lightsaber is a special effect. And he, like they're in the ship and he's, you know, trying to use the lightsaber for the first time. And that little metal ball is floating in the air and shooting things at him. And um, that was just cool. That was simple for, I think, our time now but I still think that it's effective in the movie. And the, the film does a lot of, has a lot of things like that. I mean, you could tell that the, the, the Jedi are obviously basically like space samurai in a way. So it's, you know, having it something as simple as a sword that happens to be made of laser. It's, 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 as, as you said, you have the, the, the excitement of a laser sword, but also the simplicity of, sword play and and you know that kind of swashbuckling element that you've got yet from like you know the old zorro movies and uh you know pirates and all that other stuff all the things that they like that that really george lucas grew up with yes and it's you know you got uniforms and helmets and then you have the rebellions and you know it it just appealed on so many different levels um but it's, it's i don't know it's like a new hope I think those three, like if it was on TV, I would stop and watch those because there's not only there's like an emotional bond with those movies. They're fun. Yeah. Yeah. And they're fun. And they tap, they tap into, uh, you know, the hero's journey and, and mythology and all that stuff in a way too. And um, as far, as far as the visuals, you know, the, the death star scene, uh, the attack on the death star is probably, it's impressive to me even now how well that holds up. Uh, you know, I think in the special editions, really, for this movie, other than the Java scene and adding some of the CG creatures early on, I think that the Death Star sequence, all they did was maybe clean up a little bit of the matte lines, which are like the, the black lines that go around the uh, 
the you know the items that are composited together and things like that like other than that like that's all pretty much miniatures and things like that and it looks like outstanding like you put that against anything today and it it looks like it's cg but it's not that's the impressive thing that they're able to pull off right and and it was and actually one of the other special effect things that's not as detailed as that but i thought was so cool was of course, I don't know what it, you know, I'm so bad about what some some of the stuff was called. Is the vehicle Luke Skywalker takes on the uh, on the planet Tatooine? It's you know the the speeder. It's not touching the ground. It's like up in the air, and I'm like, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, we were supposed to have those by now. Yeah, what's up with that? Yeah, what's up with that? They are so far behind technology, and. So that speeder was really cool. And watching it two days ago, I had the same reaction I did when I saw it in 1978. And it was like, damn, I want one of those. <laughs> you know, so some of that special effects was just, it's just so cool, you know, and it still is. And I still have that effect. And I it, and as the movies were made I think the special effects just got so much better because they were learning how to do this. You know, they were creating some of the special effects themselves, as far as I know. And you can see in Empire Strikes Back, the special effects are much better. Mm -hmm. And it's not even not even like the the visual effects as far as like the camera trickery. Like I think for the the speeder, I think initially, if you look at the original release of the film, it's kind of. Uh, it's kind of opaque the underneath underneath the speeder. It's not as clear that it's floating mm-hmm. really because I think all they kind of did was like smudge the lenses as much as they could, like things like that. But it's like little like creative ways, and that's you know what do they say is uh, necessity. Necessity is the mother of invention. That's what it is. Yes, necessity is the mother. Well, and we did laugh. I think the one scene we laughed was when the Millennial Falcon is being pulled into the Death Star. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that scene, we're like, okay, that's just a little toy on a wire. (laughs) That's what it is. And that's what it looked like. But that's really the only thing that made us, like, chuckle over the special effects. Mm -hmm. Um, But everything else was, you know, it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's a quite an accomplishment as a, four, a 40 year old movie that holds up that well that's like you see things now from 10 years ago and you're like oof that did not age well yeah <laughs> and, and that's true there are some movies that just don't stand the test of time and i think that with um a new hope it's also a good movie for younger children to watch mm-hmm. it's you know maybe some of the more advanced technologically, you know, special effects ones, they seem more violent. Mm-hmm. You know, we're watching A New Hope going, wow, okay, Alderaan just blew up and that's, you know, how many millions of people. And the Death Star, that was probably 50,000 people on it, but it's not as obvious. Right. It's one of those that, you know, can kind of slide by where you're not seeing the blood and, you know, you know, and then when, course when luke gets his hand cut off you don't see any blood there too so but so i think it you know the grant was such a fan when he was a little kid um of those that series i think also with the the violence too there's a certain element of 
because these are movies that are essentially air quote space operas is what I think Lucas or someone else has called them in the 40 years since this movie came out. Yes. So uh, there's a certain element of it's supposed to be. And I, I think this is a lot of the criticism that something that as heavy and dark as Revenge of the Sith gets is it's supposed to be sort of light and and uh, buoyant and energetic. And yeah, there are things happen, you know, people die and things like that. But it's all kind of nothing is super emotional. Nothing is super uh, traumatic or anything like that. Like, so a lot of the violence is either implied or off screen. I mean, Lisa Leia get Leia in this movie and Han and empire both get tortured. You don't really see anything very much of that. Just like before and after they're just Han's just tired after, I guess. Um, you do hear him scream. You do. That's so true. They do take it a little a half a step forward there. Um, but that also but they've come at Leia with a big needle, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, this is not going to go well. But I think that that tone also carries a little bit into the uh, the performances. Like everything is a little heightened. It's a little over the top, or or it seems like it. It's like I think that these movies get criticized a lot for the the performances, and obviously, you know, Hayden Christensen in Attack of the Clones is an exception, uh, where where it's like taken really far. But um, you know, you you could see you could criticize some of the acting in some of these movies, but it's also they're operating at a certain level. They're not really supposed to come across like real people because it's a specific kind of story it's you know you know and i think even though uh mark hamill is kind of whiny in this it also fits the his arc over the course of the trilogy uh and and some of the some of the more formal like leia with the with the you know she has almost like a, a kind of a, an, a, an accent at certain points early on when she's talking to them. She has like a, a little bit of an affect to the way she speaks, things like that. I think that it, it there is there's a certain style of acting that is embodied in this movies, in these movies. And you know the the most you get when someone dies is Luke going no or something like that, and then the music <laughs> swells and they cut. And it's just very dramatic. I can't believe they blew up this planet, blah, blah, blah. But they just move on. Like, all right, next mission. You know, everybody shakes yes. it off. It's, it's, and because of that, it, it takes the, the story and makes it, as you, as you were saying, accessible to all ages, which is why a, a huge part of why these movies have, have uh, endured the way that they have. Because, you know, when my daughter is, is in a couple of years, I could probably show, I mean, I could probably show her now, but I don't know if she'd really enjoy it the same way. Um, you know, then I'm going to start introducing her to the Star Wars franchise and things like that. So, well, she already, oh, yeah. she, she already know she already has it. She actually has a book that actually not, I didn't even buy it for her. One of, one of our friends bought it for her and it's like ABCs for Star Wars. So it's like, you know, A is for Akbar, Admiral Akbar, and like, you know, L is Luke and Leia and like things like that. So she knows how to spell Ewoks and uh, cool. <laughs> she knows well, she Ray. She's got to know these things if she's your daughter. This is true. I'm, with children. So Grant had seen these. And when we had children, we said, I, I talked Kelly into and I didn't really have to talk him into it. He was fine. I said, I don't want them to have toy guns. Mm -hmm. and he's fine and then grant saw a new hope and he was three and a half and everything became a weapon mm -hmm. his bunny that he carried with him became a gun napkins became a gun anything he touched became a gun so he received from santa claus when he was three and a half his first gun, and it was a Stormtrooper blaster. And it still is in the corner of his bedroom, the place of honor. 
and it's one of those white guns and I just looked it up and I think you have to buy one for like $180 on eBay. Wow. This gun. And that was the end of no toy guns in the house. But he had, I think, you know, Han Solo's gun. They had storm blasters. We probably had 10 different um, lightsabers throughout our house. And they're, they're like in Grant's one corner in his bedroom. But that gun is, we would never get rid of that. It's white, it's a white storm blast, stormtrooper blaster. We would never get rid of that. That's like, that's part of his childhood. Right. And it's a stormtrooper gun, you know, it's just, it's funny. It's also a space gun. So it's not as, it's not yeah. as, yeah, it's not as bad as like, yeah. Yeah. It's funny too, because I have, uh, it's in a kind of tangent. I have my, my, uh, my mom's father, you know, he passed away when I was little, but when I, I guess I was probably around the same age as Grant, like three or whatever. And he bought me, and I still have it in the closet somewhere, like a little, <laughs> a little like Rambo machine gun. I don't know why he decided <laughs> to buy that for me. And my mom was like, not really into that, but I, I was something I played with. It had the little, the little, a, uh, the little tripod in front. So you could like crawl in the mud, I guess, like Rambo. Yeah. And uh, it made the like sound effects and all that. So, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a gun person. I'm not violent or anything. So, it's just it's just funny that you know I I keep that it's similarly as kind of a nostalgic thing, um, but that's funny how that how that happens when kids are just fascinated by weapons I guess. I mean they were, I know Grant was Anakin for Halloween, probably when he was five. Mm-hmm. We had a Darth Vader costume, naturally, and um, and. Do we have time for me to tell you a Darth Vader story? Sure, go for it. So you have to move ahead 10 years. So Grant's a teenager. He's like, they played this game, which they called Darth Vader Tag. And they played it when he was 17. He'd have six or seven friends over. He had to play Darth Vader Tag at night. And what it involved was throwing the Darth Vader helmet which is this hard plastic thing. It was right. heavy. They would throw it. And if you got hit, you were it. So it's midnight and you can hear this. Hump, and you'd hear someone go, ow, I'm it. Because they're throwing this helmet and they can't see each other. And they played that for like three or four years. I mean, they started probably when they were 14, but I think they probably played it at one point when they were seniors, just to get reminisce. Let's go play Darth Vader tag. And I know that probably, and I can't say his name because in case his mother listened to this, one of his friends got confused and threw his cell phone instead of the helmet. Uh His cell phone smashed into our house. (laughs) And then we heard a lot of yelling about that one, and he never told his parents. He said he had dropped it on the sidewalk. (laughs) I got confused and threw my phone instead of the Darth Vader helmet. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you'd have to... But they... It was hysterical. They would throw this helmet at each other. And, you know, this is what boys do. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking that. Yeah, this is like, this is fun. We're hurting each other by throwing the helmet. But 
this something also that he has like six or seven friends who will always remember the Darth Vader helmet tag. So there you go. That's my story about Darth Vader. Nice. Is the Darth Vader helmet, did it ever survive or did it end up breaking at some point? Yeah, it's, this thing was so hard, it never got damaged. Wow. Cell phones got damaged, people got bruised, but the helmet was fine. And it had the, like, the voice. So it was the helmet with the face mask on it. So they never wore it. They just threw it at each other. <laughs> Do I wanted to talk about... Some of the other the other performances, I guess I guess the the elder statesman of this of this movie, so Peter Cushing and Alec Guinness. Uh, well, did you know who they who they were before this movie? Like, had you seen them in things? And if so, what did you think of them going into this film? Because it feels like it's it feels like it's Lucas's way of trying to be like, see, I'm making a real movie. This is not silly. Mm-hmm. You know? When I think that that's probably why. And I had just recently read this, too, because you start reading about it and knowing that I was going to talk about it. Right. But that's why All he right. picked Alec Guinness or Guinness. I'm not sure how you say his last name. Um, that that's why they picked him, because the studios were saying, you need to have somebody. You're going with all unknowns. So you have to have somebody stable. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know who Peter Cushing was, um, but I did know Alec Guinness because He's in um, Dr. Zhivago. Oh, yeah, right. So I had seen him in other movies, so I was aware of him, and I thought that was really cool that, you know, he was in this movie. I mean, I knew who Harrison Ford was, though. You know, he's in American Graffiti. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I I was aware of who he was. Um, And I probably knew at least who Carrie Fisher was because I was a Debbie Reynolds fan. Right. Um, Mark Hamill, I believe was probably new to me. Of the, of the main people, I think he's definitely the one that had like, you know, was the, the greenest. That's pretty, he would probably, he may have been in like some theater before this or something like that. But uh, yeah, this was obviously his, his, his breakthrough even more so than anybody else. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that they've been in, the other movies mm-hmm. that they, they, they pulled them in, they pulled Mark Hamill in, they pulled Carrie Fisher in, um, and Harrison Ford. I thought I, I liked that nod to them because they're the reason these, these movies are being made now because they made these movies ahead, at least from my viewpoint. So, you know, they deserve some of the credit. Yeah. George Lucas yeah. should get some of the credit too. I think, you know, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Well, he's he's he sold it. He sold it off at a certain point too. So I think he was like, I don't want anything else to do with this. You know, especially I think the making the prequels was a very complicated experience for him because he made a lot of money, but then now everybody like like everybody hates on him because of those movies because they were so divisive. And then uh yeah, and then Disney's been doing their their thing with it. So as a, as a person who, you know, saw the original movies in theaters and has been a fan of the franchise, what do you, what do you think about the way that the new movies what where they have taken the original trio? I know you mentioned in Force Awakens that you were not happy about that because you liked that character, but did you think that that story wise that was a a uh, a satisfying development or yeah. you're just like okay? Yeah, because main characters need to die sometimes. Right. You know we we won't get into you know the Avengers, but that's real. People die, mm-hmm. and it made sense for him to die. I might not have liked uh-huh. it, 
but you know that that's that's just a natural way. Um, so I, yeah, I was fine with it, but like I said, I don't think I know those some of the other movies as well, and I need to go wa- watch them again. You know, because it is you need to like you and you know that you know I went and watched all the Avenger movies again to get ready for the End Game, and I need to do that with the Star Wars. You know, just so I have a better feel of it all. I mean, I don't, I don't need to do that, but I'm going to do that anyway because it's a good excuse to go back and watch them all. That's part of why I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch all these movies. I might as well do a podcast on every all the movies. It's like building up to, uh, building up to it. But yeah, I mean, Carrie Fisher's character, her, you know, Leia's story wasn't really complete in the Last Jedi. So I think that's one thing that everybody's really interested to see how the rise of Skywalker is going to is going to deal with that. And it's funny as you mentioned, we, you know, we had just said about how you know accessible these films are to all ages but then it's true they do all this kind of a hallmark of the star wars movies is that there is at least one major character death every movie and Mm -hmm. sometimes in return of the jedi there are multiple you know things like that so uh, you know i I, it's it is kind of a important part of this franchise is dealing with legacy dealing with you know anakin and luke and then you know whatever ends up happening with Ray and and you know the impact that the the older generation has on on what happens in this current trilogy and uh, and elements like that. So I, I I love all that stuff and I love the the backstory that this movie only implies that that then we get see you know we see in the prequels with Anakin and, and uh, Obi Wan and Obi Wan's uh, you know obviously lies about uh, Anakin's. Uh, death right. and all of that. It's interesting because I wonder, I still wonder, I still don't know 100% if Lucas knew exactly what he was going to do with Anakin's backstory, that he was going to have Vader be a part of that, uh, or if they he left it vague on purpose because he was not sure exactly how he was going to play it out. It's unclear because Alec Guinness makes a very kind of telling pause there when Luke asked what happened to his father. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you're right. I mean, because truly, I can't imagine how could you foresee all of these storylines and even just the prequels. How could you foresee that? Because you know they weren't sure that a new hope was even going to be successful, right? And and if it hadn't been successful, then that's it. That was going to be episode four, you know, which really confused a lot of people <laughs> uh, in 1977. Why are they starting with episode four? You know, but his goal was, I mean, he had that goal and possibly somewhere he has some storyline that he had written in 1975, getting ready to write A New Hope. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's hard to imagine him knowing how it was all going to play out. Yeah, and there's certain things here and there that don't really fit. But I mean, as, as you said, it's it's kind of. It's kind of it's, it's kind of developing as he was going with it, and I, I like the I like the fact that this, you know, what he sought out to create with this movie was to to uh, it was a very much a throwback, and that's what I think is so interesting. But you know, I was just talking about legacy with this film and the impact it's had on cinema, and now you have so like so many filmmakers my age and older like 30s and 40s or whatever that saw this movie in theaters when they were kids. They're now 
you know, making films inspired by Star Wars. And then this film was a throwback really to the 40s, to Flash Gordon and things like that, that Lucas grew up with. So it's so, so it's funny how the, the franchise, the franchise's legacy has really kind of mirrored its, its impact both before with Lucas's, uh, when he was his, his youth and now subsequently in the 40 years since then, how it's changed, uh, how it's changed movie making so much. Oh yeah. Well, just, the special effects, I mean, the impact, the special effects in sound, they're just amazing. I mean, I, I've loved being entertained by movies and where you see the advances that have taken place with the use of music and the use of special effects. And it's it's just so much fun. And the fact that, you know, was which movie did they in this series that they added Carrie Fisher after she died. They did a little bit of, in Rogue One, they had Leia show up. That was actually like right before she she passed away. That came out. Okay. There's a little bit of CGI Leia at the very end of that. And then it's, yeah, because I I know that was a big thing with Rise of Skywalker, that they wanted to have Leia's story conclude, but they didn't really, you know, they didn't want to let's recreate her in CG because that's kind of in poor taste for someone that passed away. So they're repurposing old footage that they had from Last Jedi and Force Awakens, maybe with, you know, uh, new newly shot stuff with Daisy Ridley and people like that and maybe compositing things together. But they're not recreating her completely, which I think is is a smart way to play it. I mean, she's been such a a major part, an integral part of this franchise and its success and its inspiration, especially for, you know, letting girls know that, that this was okay to like Star Wars, which I know, you know, Disney and sometimes a lot of, you know, historically had, this has been like considered a boy's property. And I think Leia was kind of, was the, the, the shining light to, to let girls bring girls in on it. As, as you mentioned with your own experience, um, back before there was Ray and actually other female characters. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, the, the, they keep pushing the boundaries on the special effects. Um, but I think now, you know, they've they've really they really fine tuned that balance of uh, of the different aesthetics, you know, the uh, practical effects and CG and everything like that. So it, it's fun to go back and and see this one and see that you know not really that much as as far as the effects, there weren't really anything he needed to quote fix with the special editions it all kind of works it's just maybe cleaning it up a little here and there so i mean i i don't really know how much more do you have do we have anything else to say about a new hope is there anything we haven't covered that you wanted to make sure we talked about well you know yes because one of the things that a new hope shows is the use of robots and you know you have r2d2 and c3po that was different Mm-hmm. They were humorous. They were artificial intelligence that was working. Although, you know, we can say there are gaps in how you would use them now, but that was different. And to have affection for a robot, you know, they were a pull for the movie. People loved R2-D2 and C-3PO mm-hmm. and Chewbacca. These were characters that were not, you know, your mainstream characters, but they were also the draw to the movie. And that was different for the time. And I think that also had an impact as to how 
movies could proceed because then people liked them. And I think that had an impact. So that's my opinion. But I think that's always important to talk about in A New Hope. It wasn't just the female and not the humans, but the robotic type. Yeah, I mean, as far as far as playing those characters, you had Anthony Daniels in that really like plated suit that I guess he had put on him. And then R2-D2 was operated from within, like by Kenny Baker, who was a little person. I know. Uh, oh, that's it's crazy. It's like the ingenuity behind some of these things. And then, you know, rest in peace, Peter Mayhew. Right. The idea that they had people in these robots, which they wouldn't do nowadays, mm-hmm. but that's how they operated them then. And that you know, there were actors there. So that was that was kind of fun, but it was also something that we hadn't seen. And I, you know, and I saw a lot of movies when I was a teenager, and so this was a different aspect, you know, that was artificial intelligence and computers. They're okay. So I think that's just one thing to, that's important to mention about A New Hope. Well, no, I agree. And then a few years earlier, you had HAL 9000 in, in uh, 2001, and right. uh, this one just kind of humanized them in a way. And yes. uh, not only the robots, but also the creatures like Chewbacca and then all the you had all those the the those crazy uh, creature designs in the cantina when they go in that you that you see like just it's from a, from both, but it was an effects level. You know, yes, obviously, that was an achievement, but also narratively having uh, these two robots be kind of the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of the Star <laughs> Wars saga because they just, uh-huh. they're in every movie. They just, even if it's briefly, they drop in and be like, oh, we're just jumping around from adventure to adventure. This yeah. is the kind of crazy stuff that happens around us, I guess. So in a way, R2 and 3PO are like the, uh, you know, the the element that the Star Wars saga all kind of revolves around, which is, it's in fun. It's a fun way to uh, to you know give them a lot to play off of, as well as their sort of Laurel and Hardy routine off of each other throughout the song. Right. They're, I mean, they're a little bit of the humor relief, but also the humans have affection for them. So th- it is like you said, they're humanized. Um, so yeah, that's a good that's a good description. Yeah. No, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up because we hadn't talked about the droids at all, really. And you start thinking about this movie. And we're like, God, we say that all the time. Yeah. You know, the, these are not the droids you're looking for. I mean, just all these quotes from A New Hope. It's like, I think the Foster family here quotes them a bit. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Obviously, P- obviously, people know that if they're listening to this and they're probably Star Wars fans and have watched this movie a bazillion times, like, like we have. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, so when you saw this in theaters, you had no idea that it was going to be basically the, the biggest film franchise of all time, 40-something, no and have so many things. You mean, I mean, this was also back in the day when not everything was a franchise or everything got a sequel, so... No, it was, and, you know, we weren't, we didn't have that, and um, I just thought my brother was just yammering on about some geeky movie, and he was... But I agreed with him finally. And, you know, I could, I understood it that he had seen it 20 times. And I believe that I probably saw it then like one more time before it went out of the theater. Like I went and saw it another time with a friend because I liked it so much. So, yeah, it was, and my sister had, 
I think had seen it also. So she was also, so we all ended up being Star Wars fans. Well, there's something, there's a combination of the, the characters, the world building. It's just, it's a certain level, obviously, of escapism to it. And then when you rewatch it over, it's just like, it welcomes you. But it's like a warm blanket of a movie after a while, Star yeah. Wars. I would agree with that. I think you're right. Well, I don't think that we have, I don't have anything else to cover. If you're, if you're no, I don't think I do either. Okay. This is fun. Yeah, this was a blast. So, Kim, thank you so much for coming on the Crooked Table podcast and talking about Star Wars with us. Yeah, well, Rob, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Well, definitely, you know, I'd love to have you back another time. Let, let me know if you okay. want to talk about anything. All right, that sounds good. Thanks so much. All right, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable course you can always find more podcasts reviews videos and other movie related goodies over at crookedtable.com until next time this has been the crooked table podcast and i've been rob this has been a production of crookedtable.com all rights reserved that's the yard of the little kd